If you have a Bible, uh, if you have an app, if you have something, we will be in Matthew chapter 4. It will take us a brief minute to get there. Um, but I just want to say again, I, I said it last week, um, I'll, I want to say this as often as I can. Thank you for making the effort to be here. Thank you online for those of you who are watching. We know a number of you are tuning in right now. Thank you for joining us. I will say, I got to say, I'm, I'm going to speak to the online crowd here for just a minute. I had a woman come here earlier who said, I haven't, been, I haven't felt comfortable coming to church uh, in person. I haven't really been connected lately, but I, I got online lately and was kind of checking it out. And she said, I saw the picture of the pastor and she said, it's kind of a short, weird looking guy. Uh, and I thought, oh no, a new pastor already. And then she's like, oh wait, I realized this was a Northwest Hills in Missouri. So this is Northwest Hills. I, I thought it was kind of insulting to me at first. I'm like, okay, weird. I, I get it. But this is Corvallis, Oregon. Okay. So just in case you're wanting to know, you're welcome for that online people. We haven't forgot about you. We love you. So all that being said, um, like Carissa said, uh, likely next week we will be inside, which does kind of dramatically change kind of the, the whole approach to Sundays, having two services. Uh, you should have gotten some info in a letter that came out this week or that will come out early next week, kind of giving you all the details of what that service will look like. But we would really encourage you, if at all possible, if it's doable for you and your family to, to show up to one of those services, to be a part of what's going on here or to, to join us online if that's uh, what you're able to do at this point. So all that being said, um, community groups have started this last week, man. I loved being able to start my new group for this week. It's super fun. We have some brand new people in our group. They're here somewhere. I saw them, a bunch of new people. And so a number of you have been doing that. We have about 300 adults who are gathering in homes throughout the week. And that is a huge part uh, of what it means to be a part of Northwest Hills is to be a part of this large gathering on Sundays, but then a smaller gathering where we really can invest in the lives of individual people on kind of that one-on-one -on -one level. So you can go to our website to find out more about that. If you are in a community group, uh, I'm encouraging groups that have the bandwidth to go through the book together called Life Together. Uh, it's by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. We have a number of those books. Um, we are selling them at more than half off in the back. You can go find them for five bucks after service. They'll be around for the next couple of weeks. Again, super short book for community groups going through a book called Life Together. Okay, here we go. So as we turn to Matthew chapter four, I want you to just imagine with me for a minute a scenario. I want you to imagine the scenario of um, an ideal world, right? So think about our world. Think about some of the um, aspects of what an ideal world would be like, right? So what are some of the things that you would think about when you think of an ideal world? And this is where you can like participate with me. What's something that you would think about like, uh, like a world full of peace? Like that would be one example, right? What else would you want ideally in our whole world? Yeah, there you go. Want a lot of people to love Jesus. Yep. What else? Sunshine. There you go. Bring it. Yeah. Okay. Ideal world. What else? Right. Um, love. Right. We'd want there to be a lot of love. We'd want there to be equality. We'd want there to be generosity. Right. We'd want there to be low taxes. We'd want there to be great governments. Right. Whatever. Like there's there's a lot of things that we could kind of conjure in our minds of the type of world that we would want if we could imagine um, a a solid world. Like we'd think of great families. Right. You think of strong education. You think of uh, eradication of poverty, eradication of disease, right? There's all kinds of things that you could think of when you think about a world, right? You think about individual agency, autonomy, responsibility, authority. These are all types of things that we think of when we think of the world that we want. 
Um, it, it's kind of hard to imagine what a world like that would actually be like, but we can kind of imagine something like that in our minds. So now let's, uh, let's break it down to the country level. I don't know if uh, any of you are aware of this, but we're actually, we're getting close to a presidential election coming up here soon. And um, we, in, in terms of like thinking through our local government, our national government, we think a lot about what we want our nation to be like and, and who we think the right leaders are to get us to this type of nation. And man, we have a lot of different opinions about that. And we have a lot of strong opinions about that. But I want you to think for just a minute, not just on the global scale, but on our nation. Like if our nation could be anything that we could imagine it to be, what would we want it to be like? Right, a lot of those, those same uh, thoughts of the, of the global desires would be kind of narrowed down to the nation desires too. So you think about a nation uh, here and you, you could dream of something, again, like the eradication of poverty. Right? You would think of something like strong schools, lots of individual freedoms, great health care for everyone, uh, equality for everyone, food for everyone, job opportunities for everyone, safety for everyone, security for everyone. You know, you'd want respectable leaders. You'd want a world potentially without COVID-19, right? The list could go on and on and on of the things that you could think of when it comes to this imaginary country of ours that we would love to have. Right? It sounds good. And, and the thing is, most of the things that, that we're thinking about ultimately have their base in Christian values. Right? You, you think about uh, a world of Christian values. Right? You think about uh, taking care of people. Right? That's something that is a Christian value. Like We're supposed to care for one another. So something like health care. Right? You think about uh, strong families. You think about safety and security. Like All these types of things that we think of when we think about the, the best possible nation we could think of, most of them have their roots in Christian values. Um, and, and rightly so. Right? When you think about this type of world, you think about a world that flourishes because we, we believe that God created the world and to operate in a world such that we follow the way God created it, like that makes sense, right? So a world with Christian values would be a world that we uh, would really want, that we would really, really desire. Right? A few thousand years ago, this type of world was described. It was described in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Deuteronomy chapter 8. Um, and it's something that we've been kind of looking at back and forth between Exodus, Deuteronomy, and Matthew. And this world was described, this kind of idealized world. I want you to hear the description. The, the words are going to be different than the things that we thought of, but the basic premise and the basic idea is exactly the same. So I'm going to read just a little bit. I'm going to paraphrase some things. But this is from Deuteronomy 6 and 8. Again, describing an idealized country, an idealized nation, an idealized group of people. And listen to the description from Deuteronomy 6 and 8. It says, You will have great and good cities, houses full of all good things, cisterns and vineyards and olive trees. You will eat and be full. You will be free from any oppressor. Right? That sounds really good, right? We're not going to have war. You're not going to be subjugated to some sort of external outside authority. You will have good lands in lands of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full. You will build good houses, your herds and flocks will multiply, and your silver and gold will multiply, and all that you have will be multiplied. 
right? Does that not sound like a really nice place to live, right? Like, can I get an amen? I can't see your faces right now. So show me like, yeah, that sounds nice. I'd like to live in that type of place. But here's the thing. And this is um, what our text is all about today. I want to make something very clear um, that when we think about the idealized country that we want, when we think about uh, a land that's described in Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 8, these are all good things, right? But the primary goal of Christianity is not to redeem a culture. The primary goal of Christianity is not to create a Christian culture. It's not to create a Christian nation. The primary goal of Christianity is to create Christians, all right, now, now you, you, might under, you, you might not initially think, like, are the two different? They're very, very, very different. And uh, Matthew chapter 4 is going to make that very, very clear. Again, our first goal, the primary goal of Christianity is not to make a Christian America, but is to make Americans Christians, is to make people of our world Christians, right? And so I think in a time and an age where we think a lot about our nation. Right? We think a lot about the world. We think a lot about the way that we'd like things to be. The Bible has a lot to say about what's ultimate in how we should really be. Right now, I want you to listen carefully. I'm not saying that we shouldn't want our nation to have Christian values. Of course, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is a thousand times more important than Christian values is to have a nation with Christians. Right? Inevitably, you'll get values out of individuals who are Christians, but our primary goal and concern should not be for um, our nation to be Christianized first. And what do I mean by this? And some of you are like, man, you're talking so much politics. Well, here you go. Here's Matthew chapter 4. There's so much to be said here. So Matthew 4, I'm going to ask that you'd stand up. We're going to honor God's word by reading it together. Make him known. Make him known. Amen. Right, so we're at the third temptation. This is our third week in this. We're talking about live. We're talking about what it means to live. The first week, we talked about the reality that we have to have a foundation of truth to stand on. Otherwise, truth comes and it goes, and every season it's a little different. Last week, we talked about the reality of not putting the Lord to our test with our little ideas of understanding how God might work. And today, we see something uh, I think is almost more profound than all of these in how we understand uh, the temptation before Jesus. So here we go. This is Matthew chapter 4, verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may take a seat. For a long time uh, growing up, I'd, I'd obviously read this text um, I'm sure many of you have. Maybe it's new for some of you, but I read that. And honestly, I didn't really understand for a long time what the real temptation there. Like, why was this a temptation for Jesus? Uh, what, what's the major uh, implication of what Satan's trying to, to get from Jesus? What's he trying to get him to do? You know, here's Jesus. He's in the wilderness. We've, we've talked a little bit about how he's representing Israel in a lot of ways. Israel was in wandering for 40 years. And here's Jesus for 40 days. He's gone without food. He's hungry. He's been tempted. And this is a real temptation for Jesus. You know, you wonder, though, like, what is the temptation here? Right? If you're like me, when I read this for the first time, and when I've read this over the years, like, I think kind of initially there's kind of this, like, underlying idea that, well, Jesus is God. 
He rules all the nations. He, he oversees everything. Why is this a real temptation? And really the better question is, what is the temptation that he's being tempted with? Now then for you and I, we'll get to it. What is the temptation that you and I are being tempted with? Right, so the text says that Satan takes him to a place and he's overlooking uh, all the empires of the world. We don't know if this is figurative. We don't know if it was literal. We don't know if this was some sort of vision or dream. But either way, Satan takes him to a high place. And he, he points out, like, hey, here's the nations of the world. Right, here's Assyria. Here's Babylon. Here's Persia. Obviously, the great Rome. And he makes an offer to him. And he says, I will give you all of this. Right, and so initially it's kind of a strange offer, especially when you're talking about Jesus right there. Like, well, what's, what's Satan's role? What's Jesus's role here? Like, what's, what, what is the offer and what is the temptation? Like, what power does Satan really have to offer him all that anyways? Matt, uh, in Luke, we get a little bit more of a description uh, of what's happening here. In Luke chapter 4, verse 6, we read these words. Luke adds a little bit to the description. And he says this, he says, And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. Right, so we get this picture that Satan has been handed authority. Right, We know that he has authority on earth. He doesn't have ultimate supreme authority. We know that God will uh, overthrow and God does have ultimate authority. But Satan has a certain measure of authority on earth. We read this many, many places in Scripture. We read this uh, in 2 Corinthians 4, 4. It says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded their minds. Right, referring to Satan as the God of this world. We read this in John 12, 31. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Right, So um, Satan does have a lot of authority on this earth. And he tells Jesus, he says, hey, I will give you all this authority. I will give you all of this power. I will give you all of this. Which is really strange to think that Satan is willing to offer up all of this authority, all of this power, all of this rule. And why is it so strange to think about? Or why is this such a strange offer? Because think about what would Jesus have done with all the authority, with all the power, with all the rule? Would he have brought more evil or would he have brought good? Jesus would have brought good, right? I can't see your faces, but I'm assuming you said good. He would have brought good. So here's this offer. Jesus, here's all the nations. Do with them whatever you want, right? So if Jesus was ruling and reigning, if he would have had all authority and power over all these things in that moment, the offer from Satan to Jesus was go ahead do all the good that you want to do. Bring justice, bring peace, do everything in your power to bring a world that you want with all these kingdoms in front of you. It's just kind of fascinating to think about. It doesn't bother Satan if our world is filled with family values. right? It doesn't bother Satan if our world is filled with great schools and safe neighborhoods it doesn't bother Satan if we eradicate racism and anger and hatred and jealousy and COVID-19. It doesn't bother Satan if we end all human trafficking, if we end all abortion. It doesn't bother Satan if everyone has great health care and a beautiful front yard garden. Right? It doesn't bother Satan at all. He would willingly hand that all over to Jesus in exchange for one thing. In exchange for worshiping of Jesus as the King of Kings. 
just pretty interesting to think about where we put our time and our effort into thinking what we want our world to be like. And Satan's saying, I'll give it all over. In a heartbeat, you can have everything. You can have it all. I just want one thing. All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. The great temptation here is to have Christianity without the cross. Right, the temptation here is to have the kingdom without the king. It's to have the Christian culture without Christians. It is to redeem a culture and not a people. And Satan was willingly able to say, you can have all of it. As long as you don't go to the cross. As long as you don't become the king. Take it all. Do it all. Do whatever you want. But Jesus had a bigger mission. He wasn't coming to redeem a nation in the, in the term of just simply values. He wasn't here simply just to eradicate poverty or racism or anger or hate or abortion or any of these issues that we like to think about. Jesus was coming to conquer the biggest issue of all, and that's sin in the hearts of men. Right? And does Jesus care about these other things? Of course he does. We're going to talk about this in a minute. Of course he does. But his primary mission is for the hearts of men. It is not for the redemption of a certain cultural value of a nation or a people. So how does Jesus respond? He responds in verse 10, and he says this. He says, Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. Right. Um, you go back here um, and Jesus quotes again, Deuteronomy chapter six, you shall worship the Lord, your God and him only shall you serve. And what do you think precedes this little section here in chapter six? It was it was the uh, the definition of the good country. So right before this, you get this definition of, oh, your country will be like this and you'll have all these good things, all these Christian values, all these great things. But don't lose sight of the most important thing in all of this. Don't lose sight of when you get this country that you've wanted, when you get this land, when you have all this abundance, when you've you've got all these Christian values, don't forget the most important thing. And that's to worship the one true king. That's why Jesus quotes back to Deuteronomy 6. It's all about Jesus becoming king. It's not about him bringing values. And the only way that he could become king was to go through with his mission and to go to the cross. Right? So for you and I, right? we know that, um, we know that this was a temptation for Jesus because we know that ultimately like he, he didn't want to go to the cross. Right? Father, if there's any way, if you can take this cup from me, would you take it from me? But we knew that that was the only way for him to become king, to pay for the price of our sin and our rebellion against God. He had to go to the cross. So that was a legitimate temptation for him because he didn't want to do that. But he wanted, he wanted to eradicate Satan. He wanted to eradicate sin. But he knew that the only way to do that was to go to the cross. But for us, right, what is our temptation? Right, that was for Jesus, but we know that Jesus conquered all these things, not only for him, not only for like this path towards the cross, but there's been something for us to learn each step along the way as this temptation, these temptations are real for us. So I'm just briefly look at kind of four different, real briefly, uh, realities for you and I and kind of the temptation for us. First temptation for this is, are you primarily concerned with redeeming a culture or a people? 
Right, I, I talk a lot. Uh, I talk to a lot of people right now, particularly in this this world of kind of election coming up, and and so many thoughts on country. And I think it can be really easy to think about, man, what if this? What if that? What if this? What if we did that? And these things are important. Don't get me wrong. We'll talk about that in a minute. They're important. But how often are you primarily concerned about individual people knowing and loving Jesus? Right? Do you spend far more time thinking about what if our country this rather than what if my friend John this? What if my friend Jane this? What if my friend Cindy this? What if my friend Tom that? I think as Christians, we want to be more concerned with individuals than we want to do about the whole thing of this Christian nation value, world value. And yes, of course we, we want, again, of course we want, um, we want to live in a society that has Christian values. Of course we do. Right? Again, a nation flourishes, a people flourish when we have Christian values. Right? When you treat people with honor and dignity and respect, of course a nation flourishes. Absolutely. Right? I, I, I don't want to constantly have conversations with my kids that say, okay, I know you're being taught this one thing, but what we believe is completely different. Like, I, I, like of course we want that. But what we want more than any of that is the big picture that says what needs redeeming is people and the hearts of men, not our country, not our system as a whole. Individuals need to be redeemed. Should I still desire a Christian culture? Probably. Right? Probably. Right? Again, we all, like, a Christian culture that has Christian values gives individuals responsibility, gives them authority, it gives them opportunity. Of course we want those things. But again, it's not the most important thing. The most important thing is that individuals know that they need a Savior, that they need a King, that that King came for them, for their hearts individually. But it shouldn't come at the cost of losing our Christian witness, right? So we should want a Christian culture, but again, it shouldn't come at the cost of losing our Christian witness. Number three here, even more broadly, uh, Jesus exposes our temptation to get what we want, right? So again, Jesus wanted to defeat Satan. He wanted to bring his kingdom of heaven to earth, right? So he wants to bring this type of rule and reign and peace to a people. Of course he wants to do that. Absolutely. But for us, the temptation is to, to eventually get what the things that we wanted and then to be satisfied in them alone. Right, so last week we talked about um, some of the different uh, hopes and dreams that we all have. Right? Uh, a number of us wrote down different hopes that we have, maybe hopes for our kids, hopes for our grandchildren. You know, we, we talked about the, the reality that we all have these different visions of, of what we think God wants us to do. Um, whether it's career, whether it's calling. We, we talked about these hopes and we talked about sometimes and we don't get these things that we longed for. And sometimes when we don't get those things, it's kind of that test of whether or not we think God is good. But today it's almost the exact opposite. It's, the, it's that time when you get the thing that you longed for, right? When church becomes the thing that, that I longed for, for me, right? When, when your kids are in the place that you want, when you get the job that you want, the temptation here is to make that thing the thing that you worship rather than God the thing that you worship. That was the offer to Jesus. Hey, bring all the rule and reign you want right now. Have it all right now. So what is that thing that you want? What are those things that you're longing for? The temptation is if you finally get those things, you will worship those things rather than 
the king. Fourth thing, and I think this is so important for our time and season, is church simply a means to Christian values? When I think about COVID, I think about kind of what it's done to most families in terms of like weighing out, like, do I come to church? Do I engage online? What does that look like? Right? If all church is, is a means for someone to get Christian values, eventually you will find a replacement that's far easier than giving up half your weekends. I mean, that's just the reality. If church simply is a way to get Christian values, you will eventually find an easier way to get those Christian values than giving up half your weekend. But instead, if church is a time where once a week we stop and we lift our eyes up and we say, God, I I thank you for the cross. I thank you that you are king of kings. I need to worship you and worship you alone. I need to do that with a family. And in this family, I have a part to play. Every one of us has a unique individual role in this family. If that's what church is, if it's not just, well, I need to learn some things about Christian values. and I think it's good for my kids. That'll run out. But if church truly is a place where we are truly worshiping God as the King of Kings that Jesus says here in Matthew 4, if this truly is this place where I'm a family that I belong to, that I have a part to play in, church will still remain central and most important. So we've been talking about how to live. If we truly want to live, what do we need most of all? Do we need a Christian nation? Satan was willing to give it all up. You can have all the Christian nation that you want. You can have all the Christian culture you want. What do we need? We need one thing. We need Jesus. We need the cross. We need a king. And we need that first and foremost, more than anything else. So I would just challenge us as a church over this next season, as we're thinking a lot, a lot about nation, as we're thinking a lot about kind of Christian um, ideals and virtues and values, which are good things. I would encourage us more than anything. What do we need first and foremost is we need a king. And that king can thrive in any country, in any culture, anywhere. But we need to keep our eyes and our minds on the thing that matter most, and that is the cross. Would you pray with me? And we'll continue singing one more song in a moment of celebration. God, it can be so easy to think about a world that acts Christian. And we think about how nice that would be. We think about um, just the the community that can be built in neighborhoods. And again, these are good things. These are things that you desire, but they're secondary things. And they come out of a true transformation when people really know that they are loved by you and saved by you. Jesus, I pray that our hearts would be primarily concerned with people knowing that they need a king. That, Lord, you are not about creating a Christian culture. You're about creating Christians. Lord, that you are not here just to redeem an idea of how people should live, but you are here to redeem the hearts of us who have rebelled against you, who need a restored place in your kingdom so that we can bring goodness to your kingdom here on earth. God, we just won't need to get those priorities in order. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to be able to lift our eyes up to you as king. And Lord, we confess when we've gone through seasons where we desire more the culture than people. And then, Lord, we, we do take the command 
um, from you um, to be a blessing to our city, to bring uh, hope to our city, to bring love to our neighbors. God, ultimately to point people towards you. You are a good king, and the only way to live is to recognize you as king. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen.